navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. Well, this week's guest on the Victorian State Cricket Podcast is actually, it's not a viewer's choice, it's actually a player's choice. A player's, or a lot of prominent players have demanded that we get this person on the podcast, and it is Matthew Innes, 81 first-class games through the late 90s, uh, late 90s and 2000s, and he joins us. Matt, uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. So many of your former teammates have said, we want to have you on the podcast. <laughs> and, and so would you know why that would be? I don't. Nah, it's, you know, I actually have no idea. So um, played here for a while. I guess I played over a couple of different eras. So my first era was when um, guys like Darren Berry and these guys were finishing up and then the newer era when guys like Cam White and these guys were starting. So it was sort of a mix of both eras when I was playing. Yeah, so left arm fast bowler, uh, 281 first class wickets. It's a terrific record. Uh, but in a way, a frustrating career through injuries. You went and played in Western Australia as well. But when you look at your record, it's it's a fairly compelling record. Yeah, oh, it's it's interesting. I don't, I probably don't think about my. I've been out for a while and I've moved on from um, cricket, so I don't really think about it too much. It's, it's a bit weird because, as you said, um, played for a long period of time, but when you don't. I guess, achieve what you want to achieve. You sort of put that away and you move on. You want to try and forget about it a little bit. So it's a bit it's a bit different. So um, I guess that's why, um, you know, whether the year I played in, obviously successful with the Aussie team, so I didn't get a chance to play that. So you sort of think, oh, that's something that you missed out on. So you try and forget about it. Yeah. So now that I've finished playing or finished a long time ago now, but you move on and you do other things. And so I don't really, to be honest, I don't think too much about it. Yeah, okay. I was going to ask you about that because you're still involved in professional sport. You're very mm. high up in the Western Bulldogs in, in uh, well, I'll try and say the name of it, Head of Sports Science and Physical Performance, but you've been involved in strength and conditioning in cricket and footy. Walking into the Junction Oval again, what sort of memories does it bring back to you initially? Yeah, it's very different to when I was here. So we played... Um, Shield cricket here when the MCG was all our games with the MCG. We went to Punt Road for a little while and played some Shield cricket there. And then the junction was the place where we'd play at times as well when the MCG was mm. unavailable. So, um, from a playing point of view, um, play here a bit. We used to train on the other side of the of the junction. We used to get changed underneath the the other grandstand when it was nothing like it is now. So to see what it's like now, it's as good as you get in the world probably from a cricket point of view. So, yeah, it's good to good to come here. Yeah, absolutely. So growing up, um, you were a good footy player and a good cricketer. Was there a time where you had to make a choice out of one or the other? Yeah, there was. Um, I was probably a better footballer growing up, more suited to football, um, but I'd prefer to play cricket. So I was playing both. Um, I was played state underage for both and then I was playing the TAC Cup up at Murray Bush Rangers at the same time as I was playing um, at Essendon and all the state underage cricket here. So I was playing both along the way. And then, but I always prefer cricket. Um, so that's, I always, if I had, had to have a choice, I was always going to go down the cricket path. But then when I was 17, um, through football, I actually did my ACL. So that was at the start of the football season. So I was an un, under 17 up at Murray, um, did my knee, missed that whole footy season. So then at the end of that football season, um, played, came back and played cricket, uh, made the Victorian under 19, the Australian under 19 team, and then never went back to football. So I was probably always going to choose 
cricket. But then when I did my knee, it was just, I said, right, I'm not even going to try to play footy now. So, yeah, that's how it probably played out. Right, okay, because you sort of grew up in an interesting time where the tack cup was just starting. Yeah. And we, kids were just starting to understand what professional uh, football was all about and there was that sort of that pull at the time where young cricketers were being told you can't you can't go and play cricket, you've got to do a football pre-season and the sort of seduction to go to football and not cricket. It was yeah. quite a, a dramatic time in, in for the two sports. Yeah, it was. Um, I know... Clinton Peake was a year older than me. Yep. He played both as well. Um, Tony Brown, he played um, underage for Victoria Cricket. He went football, but most people went to football. Um, Peake and I were probably the only two that went to cricket. Everyone else who was good at both probably went to football. But because it was interesting, football almost said you have to make a choice, yes. whereas cricket were a bit more happy to, for you to play both. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a tug of war, whereas now – Footy's got their category B rookie, so someone like Alex Keith, who can choose cricket, can always come back to to play footy down the part down the track. So it's I think it's much better set up now that you don't if you do make a choice, you can always go back. Whereas back when I was at that age, once the choice was done at seventeen, you couldn't go back. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. different. So what was it like? Broadford was sort of where you grew up, and yeah. having to travel down to Melbourne not just to play for Essendon, but also for all the representative squads. Yeah. Was that was that tough? It was just what I knew I had to do. So it was probably more tough for mum and dad. Yeah. So mum was a – she was a nurse. She worked night shift at Seymour Hospital. So when I was playing footy as well, she'd drive me down here to train at the junction for state under-17s, under-19s training. Um, she'd sleep in the car because she'd work that night and then she'd drive me all the way up to Wangaratta that same day to train footy that night and then she'd work again that night. So she'd be driving me from Melbourne to Wangaratta – sleeping in the car and then um, working either side, either night for night shift. So for her, it was hard. For me, it was, you probably don't appreciate it. You just think, well, that's what your mum and dad are there for. But yeah. looking back on it, it's pretty crazy. So <laughs> yeah, but for me, it was just what you had to do living in the country that you knew you had to travel to, to play sport. How special was that relationship with your mum? Because a former teammate of yours told me a story about how um, she used to reward you with ice creams if you did well. And then you actually said, no, I don't want the ice creams anymore. It might affect my fitness. It's a good memory whoever said that. <laughs> but, yeah, we did. So we had a we, – we used to every – after every um, trip home, we get a Magnum ice cream. And then one day I said, no, we're not going to do this anymore because this is um, this is not good for us. So we gave up. And we are about – probably I was about 16 at the time and we didn't have one again until I retired. So it was just something that <laughs> – Mum and I did, yeah. Unbelievable. So with that sort of mindset, that's a pretty impressive mindset at someone so young, tying in your cricket with your um, fascination maybe of, of, of physical training and fitness, again, through the 90s, it's, it wasn't like it is now. Is that part of the reason why you were so successful, do you think? I think so. It's um, And that's and maybe it was the football background as well. Yeah, yep. I knew that um, to play at an elite level in sport, I always thought that you had to be – as fit and as strong and as well prepared as you could be. So mm. um, I think that definitely helped me. Um, you could argue I wasn't as talented as some other players, but I guess I thought if there's one thing I can control, it's how hard I work and how well I prepare. So that's what I did. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's – and it definitely helped me for sure. And that's – I guess it's taken my life after cricket as well into something that I do for a living now. A lot of people don't know that you're related to Barry Hall. Yeah. Um, now, Barry Hall went on to be – Incredibly successful footballer. Um, did you grow up together? You're similar sort of age. Yeah. Um, did he try and pull you in the, 
the football direction? So we, yeah, so we went to school together. He's, he's a year older than me. So we're, yeah, we're cousins. Um, yeah, went to school together. Um, we both, we at times, we'd drive him up to Murray for, because um, he was at the Bush Rangers that yep. um, same time as I, I was there. So he's, um, yeah, so you're as close as you are because you're in the small town, go to school together and we're related and both into sport. So um, that's how we sort of hung out, I suppose. Um, when he's on the Gold Coast now, so I occasionally see him up there, but he's he didn't he, – because he stopped playing footy for a while as well. So he did his boxing and other things. So yeah. he wasn't someone that was from the age of 12, played football the whole way through. He had a couple of years off and went back, I think, his last year of under-18s to play footy again. Um, yeah, so he didn't try and make me – no. <laughs> and, and if anyone wanted to make me choose one way or the other, it was just I wanted to play cricket. That's how it was. So why, where does your love of cricket come from? I don't know. So dad was always footy and cricket. He played, he coached Seymour Footy Club, um, played cricket his whole life. So I always followed him around. So whether it was going to Seymour for, to play, watch him play footy or to watch him coach footy, it was, I'd go there for that. Or if it was to go to the you know, small country town, the sporting clubs, I'll get the central hub. So I'll be there late on a Saturday night, listening to him and his mates tell stories. So I guess always been around sports since I was born pretty much and he was always the one that um, that took me there. Yeah, okay. So under-17s, under-19s, you talked about before for Victoria and also for Australia. And I remember at the time um, you had such a great reputation as this bowler that was the real deal. Um, the hype around that, could you sense that at the time or was it that you just went about your business quietly and let that kind of take care of itself? Yeah, probably it's funny because you don't sort of – see where you are in the whole scheme of things. Mm. So um, like I played, I went to Essen when I was 14, um, started, got picked in the fours when I was 14. Me and my, another mate from Broadford went down. We both got picked in the fours and we thought we're better than that. So we went back and played country week. Yep. The next week we got picked in the fifths. So we thought, oh, well, we better turn up, otherwise we won't get a game at all. So I guess where I'm going with this is you go to Essendon, you see yourself involved in that environment, which is – 50, 60 players and you work your way up through the grades. You don't think there's 18 other premier teams who are all you know, all players in the same boat as you. And then you play first at Essendon. Um, I think I was 17 when I played first and you play second 11 and you play all of a sudden. So the, the pool gets narrower, but you don't see yourself as being one of the better ones of thousands of people playing cricket. You only see yourself as being in the best of that squad. Mm. And even when you get to state cricket, there's only – a squad of 20 or 25, you don't think that that 20 or 25 is the best of however many hundred thousand play cricket. You just think, all right, this is a squad of 25. I need to get in the best 11 to get a game. Yep. So I guess that was my mindset rather than thinking, oh, geez, all of a sudden now I'm one of um, 11 out of hundreds of thousands of people. It's more, all right, I'm one of 11 out of this squad of 25. So you don't, I didn't think of it as a, um, I guess that hype you're talking about. Yep, yep. So explain to, to everyone your skill set. Because you're someone that could really swing the ball both ways, and I'd like to sort of delve more into that a little bit later on. But did you have the pace as well, or was it the the left arm point of difference? What was making you so successful as you went through the grades? I think um, when I was younger, I had pace for my age, so yep. I was I developed pretty quick. So as a 17 year old, I was almost as big as what I am now. So as a 17 year old, I was quick compared to other 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I didn't get a heap quicker after that. So then I could always swing it um, and I developed the ability to swing the ball both ways. 
I wasn't a 145k an hour bowler, um, more of a swing bowler, and I, so I had to be accurate as well. So I guess my strengths were I could swing the ball reasonably accurate who could bowl a lot of overs. I guess that's mm-hmm. probably my strengths. In terms of pace, quick enough to get by but not quick enough to blast first-class cricketers out anyway. At a lower level, yeah, but not at first-class cricket. So going through the grades, you're on that sort of that pathway that's probably more formalised now than it was back then getting that opportunity to play for Victoria for the first time. How, how much can you remember of the, the phone call or the, the discussion to say that, yep, you're in, you're going to play? Yeah, I remember I was 19 um, and John Scholes was a coach and there was a one-day game. Victoria had gone through a period of um, change, hadn't had the greatest year at that, that point of time. And it was um, Christmas, um, there was a one-day game just after Christmas and um, I'm at the Old Creek of Victoria near the MCG, um, John Scholes grabbed me, took me into the car park and told me then that I was going to be playing the first one-day game after after Christmas. And that was in about two weeks' time. So it wasn't as if it was um, all of a sudden it was going to be yeah. two days' time. So I had to sit on that news <laughs> over Christmas and hope that I didn't get injured, hope nothing happened to me over those two weeks. So I played the, um, the one-day game um, just after that and then a Shield game, yeah, probably, yeah, I don't know, a couple of days after that. So... Yeah, I remember being at fine leg and just um, normally, you know, when you're in the ring, you sort of you're on your toes, you know, expecting what's going to happen. I had that, I guess, mindset. I was at fine leg, almost running in with the bowler, trying to expect. Well, it was almost like I was short cover. I was that they excited to try and get involved in the game. But yeah, <laughs> so John Skull's the coach. T- tell us some of the players that were in that that team at the at that point in yeah. time. So um, Darren Berry was captain. Um, Maddie Elliott, Brad Hodge, Dean Jones was Dean Jones' last year. Um, Laurie Harper was in the team. Um, David Saker. I think Paul Rifle was whether he, I don't think he was in that team. He was around the. Mm. He might have been the Aussie team at the time. So Damien Fleming, Brad Williams. Um, yeah, those guys. Serious cricketers. Yeah, yeah. And and as you said, there wasn't a. Wasn't an overly successful period when you first got in there, but still so many big names and really a competitive, not hostile environment, but pretty intense environment at that time, particularly with some of the big personalities. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they, they were big personalities for sure. Um, as a nineteen-year-old, I was I was probably oblivious to a lot of the stuff. I was just there to to play cricket, yeah. but it's probably not until you sort of delve a bit deeper into the when you you know there for a bit longer and you start to understand the leadership side of things and that type of stuff that you see um, a lot of that stuff. But at the start, you just had to play cricket. So you don't probably – you just think, I'm there playing with Dean Jones who's, you know, played however many test matches and these other guys. So it was it was just good to be involved in it. Well, you certainly made a big splash early and it was a game in New South Wales at the SCG against um, the all-conquering Blues at the time who had some pretty serious talent and you knocked a lot of them over. How much do you remember of those seven wickets? Uh, yeah, a bit. Yeah, so um, I remember it was a green wicket um, and New South Wales, Stuart McGill was captain and I think they won the toss and Stuart McGill decided to bat. So mm. I thought, oh, this is this is awesome. And then we, um, yeah, I think we got a couple in the first session, got two in the first session um, and then I bowled after, straight after lunch and got the next five straight after lunch. So I think we bowled them out for about 90 in the end, 95 or something. So I remember, I remember a fair bit of it. It was doing a bit. <laughs> Some of the names that you got out. Oh, I, I can't remember that though. <laughs> it's um, 
from that. I, I reckon that there might have been a test on at that stage, so there mightn't have been as many of the the big names playing. But I reckon Brad Brad Haddon definitely played. I reckon Michael Clark might have played. Um, I think Michael Slater might have been. Michael Slater might have played as well, as yeah. Well. yeah. There's still some pretty big names in there. <laughs> so do you, did that make you immediately feel, yep, I'm good enough, or did you still have that mentality of there's still a long way to go? Because to, to make that sort of splash early must have given you a lot of confidence, mm. but, you know, it's a pretty cutthroat industry as well to, to you know, to, to stay there and feel like you're part of it. Yeah. I remember Damien Fleming said to me really early, um, might be my first or second game, he goes, it doesn't get any easier, so – because I, I just assume that's not when I'm 19 that you you play and you, you improve and all of a sudden it gets easier. Get it's easier get wickets. He goes, does it doesn't get any easier? I thought, oh Jesus, is is a nightmare then. <laughs> but so it's it was probably a, it wasn't until a couple of years ago I actually felt like I was comfortable there. Um, but you don't want to feel like you're ever really comfortable because there's always people coming through. Like had we had um, Paul Rifle and Damien Fleming and Brad Williams at that stage, and then a couple of years later, Mickey Lewis and Shane Harwood. And these guys come in, so it's um, and David Saker was there at the start. So there's always players coming in ready to take your spot. So if you're feeling comfortable, you're you're in trouble. And it doesn't. And Flemo was right. It actually doesn't get any easier. It's never easy to get wickets at first class cricket. Um, I guess what you do get better at is you get better at knowing your game, being patient, those type of things. How hard is that when you're in a situation where you're in a Victorian squad? You've got the likes of Fleming and Rifle and even throwing Chain Warne at the time that would go and play for Australia, which would create opportunities. But then on the flip side of that, they would then come back mm. and sometimes you're out of the team because they're coming back. Is that is that a difficult process or is it something that it's just reality? You know that going into every season, the, the way it's likely to play out. Yeah, it's probably that. So I remember I think my second year when we made the oh, – we actually just missed the Shield final um, against WA. They battled, you know – were they? I think we had them five down at lunch and we couldn't bowl them out in the, on the last day to we were made the shield final if we had to bowl them out. Um, and I was 12th man that game because um, the previous four games I got um, four for in every game and one of the innings I got a four for. So I was bowling really well, getting wickets, but Paul Rife was in the Aussie team. So, and I knew that it's almost irrelevant how many wickets I get. When he comes back, I'll be 12th man because we had um, Fleming and Saker as well. Yeah. So And they were, even though I was getting wickets, I knew that on the pecking order, they were always in front of me. So mm. you sort of – it's almost like your caretaker of a position rather than it's it was yours at the time. Yeah. So there was a real hierarchy of when these players come back, you're in yeah. or you're, you're out, sorry. And even if there was two of you, like me and Sakes, who were both state cricketers, I knew the heel was always going to get picked in front of me regardless of what it did. That's, that's That was a feeling you used to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So despite all of that, there was a time sort of mid-2000s where you were in contention to play for Australia. And it kind of was like you or Nathan Bracken, both being left armers at the time, and they they had gone with Bracken despite the fact your record suggested that you were going better. Now, I know it could be subjective, but just on figures, that was the way it was. Yeah. David Hooks was talking about you at the time of, of being someone that should be playing for Australia. Can you go through what that period was like for you? Because interspersed in all that, you were having injury issues as well mm. and glandular fever. See, a lot was going on in your career, but whenever you were playing, you were doing very well. Yeah. It was frustrating, definitely frustrating. That's probably – it's not a regret because I did everything possible to try and to try and make it. Um, it's – yeah, it's not a regret. It's a wondering what what if. And you don't actually know how close you are. Like, I don't know, because you don't – you never used to hear from the selectors. So for all I know, it, I could have been like that close or I might have been a mile away. But you don't know because you're not hearing from them. Mm. So 
and it was frustrating because I felt, well, what more can I do? I'm doing everything I can on the field, everything I can off the field. I'm getting wickets. Um, MCG was not a, the, a, it wasn't a green seamer. It was a pretty flat wicket, and I'm still getting wickets, getting wickets everywhere, and I just wasn't getting opportunity. So um, it, it was hard, but in the end, all you can do is go out there and do as well as you can. Um, and Matty Elliott's described it really well as well about if you worry about those other things, then you're not going to do what you can do and perform as well as as well as you can. So, yeah, as much as you would love to get an opportunity, it's just you, you're still out there. And I used to love playing for Victoria, so you you have to try and do your best to play for Victoria. And you've also got guys in the squad who aren't getting a game for Victoria, so you think that if I don't perform, I might be out of the Victorian team. So even though you think you're probably close to the Aussie team, you're only one or two games away from being out of the Victorian yeah. team. So it's a yeah, it's an interesting one. So do you spend much time looking back and thinking about it? Do you try and block it from your mind as to, I mean, we're talking about it now, but mm. how often do you think back the the what-ifs? Yeah, I try and block it from my mind, yeah. So it's um, you probably think about when other when people get opportunities. So when, um, when someone plays for Australia and you think, oh, great for them, awesome for them, but you think, well, from in the year I was in, you know, if I was now, then you maybe you get the opportunity. So you can think, well, it's sometimes you might think, geez, if I was playing now, or the, or the flip side is I've played with some of Australia's best all-time cricketers. So I'm lucky to have done that. But on the other side, I think, geez, it would have been great to get an opportunity in a different era. So as I, when I said at the start how I've tried and yeah. removed from my moved on in football now, part of the reason is because I don't want to think about it because it's you think, geez, this would have been great to have done it. Um, so, yeah, there is times when you think, but most of it I'm trying to block it from my mind. Injuries as a fast bowler is something that, that that most have to go through. You had some pretty bad ones yourself over your career. What were the ones that were hard to, to overcome? Oh, it's more when, you know, an opportunity's coming. That's the – they're the hard ones. So whether even if it's a two-week injury, then they're the hard ones. So I know, um, like you spoke about glandular fever, that's one that I think – I just played a tour game against India at the MCG. Was, I think it was about 2003 maybe. And that's when India had all their players. And, I, and in the in one spell, I got um, Tendulkar, Dravid, Sawag and Ganguly all out in one spell. So I was bowling really well and I thought, and then maybe an opportunity is coming, get glandular fever straight after that game and then all the quicks broke down. So then the Boxing Day test comes and you think, well, maybe there's an opportunity there. So... It's it's not so much the injuries that are hard to overcome. It's the missed opportunity from the injuries or the the sickness that comes. I'm still kind of trying to come to terms with the fact in one spell you got out all those players. Yeah, um, that's that happens in dreams. That doesn't happen in reality. It was at the MCG as well. It was yeah. a pretty significant moment in cricket in your yeah. life, but yeah. in Victorian cricket that someone can come on and do that. Yeah, it was. And then, but then you think. Those things give you an opportunity for the next step. So rather than trying to dwell on that, you, you, you're always doing things for um, how it might um, help you in the next opportunity, these type of things. So after that game, I thought, well, you know, I had a really good game. I knew that um, there was a few players injured for the Boxing Day test and then two days later, you get glandular fever, which rules you out. So it's those – again, I might not have played, but it's little things like that you think, geez, they're, they're the missed opportunities, I reckon. How did you get Tendulkar out? Uh, courts might have been caught second slipper again. Dave Huss might have, might have caught it. Very nice, very nice. The other setback 
is the, the the final that you missed where you were you were made 12th man or you were 12th man and missed out and there was Alan Weiss who played who was was injured at the time. Um, you talk about blocking things out of your mind. Looking back now, 20 years ago, does it still um, does, is, does it still make you emotional? Does, does it still make you angry? Or how do you, you feel about it 20 years later? Oh, it made me angry for a long time and um, – to be fair, it's probably the reason why I looked to leave um, because I felt like I'd done pretty much everything I could um, and I told the coach at the time as well um, and nothing against Wisey because he was new in the team. He had an opportunity. Um, he thought he'd be able to get through um, but he couldn't. Um, so I guess he has to live with it as well that he went into the game with an injury and he broke down um, and that was frustrating for me. Um, and so, yeah, something that was um, hard to take at the time. Um, but to be fair, I've, I've definitely moved on from it. it. It didn't make a lot of sense. And I said this at the start, a lot of your former teammates were desperately keen for you to tell your story, not about the missing the Shield final, but being such a popular member of the team and someone that they could rely on, honest as the days long, to then miss out on a final when you've got all those attributes. That I, I could imagine that that wouldn't have made much sense to you. No, it was hard. It was definitely hard. So, um, and in hindsight, I wouldn't have mattered who we picked really because we made 700 in the first innings and the game was almost over. So, um, but, and that was the hard thing for me was it was the same year I got glandular fever. So, pre Christmas, had a really good period pre Christmas, get glandular fever, got back in the team. Um, I wasn't at my absolute best. I understand that. But you think I, I was honest in, myself and the team by saying, I don't feel right here. I need to um, I need to get myself checked out. It turns out I got glands of fever. I missed out on whatever opportunity could have come because I wanted to put my, the team in front of myself, which is always the way I did it. And I just felt that that at that time um, wasn't reciprocated. So it was a, and that, that was what made it really hard for me. That's why in the end I thought I'm not valued here as much as I want to be. So that's why, that's why I left. It took a while for you to leave too, didn't it? Yeah. Because Victoria didn't want to lose you because you're such nah. a good player. Yeah. Um, so it took a couple of attempts and then eventually going across to Western Australia. Um, completely different conditions, a completely different environment, other side of the country. Mm. But again, you did extremely well when you went across there. Yeah. So again, it took me a little while. So it probably wasn't until my last year there, which is the year I ended up retiring, that I actually um, submitted myself in the team. Um, but it was it was definitely as much as hard as it, what it was to leave at the time. It was the best thing for me, not just for cricket, but also life outside cricket. Yeah. So last year, and this is for those that are listening, um, not too many people retire with an average of twenty bowling average of twenty in their final season. But was it just it was almost like you ticked that box and that was the time to retire, or was it more the opportunities that were going to present for you, sort of off the field, that it was the the right time? Yeah, because pretty young. Yeah. I just turned 30, yeah, yeah. so I just turned 30 and I sort of made up my mind before that season almost that I wasn't enjoying cricket and I'm someone that if I don't enjoy something anymore, I'm not just doing it to, um, to bring home a paycheck. So I'd sort of, as you mentioned at the start, strength and conditioning is always something that I'd um, enjoyed or always something that I'd, as a player always worked hard on. So it was something I was doing outside as well with um, some study and that type of stuff. So I'd always had a plan because I'd never um, made enough money to retire. So I always knew I had to do something else outside. Yeah. So I sort of set myself up for that. And then at the start of that year, I knew that the guy 
over at the Wacker who was in charge of the strength and conditioning was moving into footy. Um, so I'd sort of made a decision internally that it's probably going to be my last year. And it turned out that it was one of my better years that I ever had. So it was, as you said, it was a good way to say, right, this is, this is good, good way to finish. Um, I could have played for another two or three years, but you play 80 games or 110 games or you play 11 years or 13 or 14 years. In the end, it doesn't matter. For me, it was about doing what's best um, for my family to make sure I set them up for the rest of my life and not being selfish and trying to get an extra year or two out of my career. Well, 15 or 16 years later and you're still working in that area, yeah. so it's probably the right decision at the I time. I think so, definitely. So, so what was it like? How different was the cricket in WA to, to Victoria? And it's not just the, the style of cricket, but maybe the culture or maybe the things that you, you didn't realise about the game that you learnt going into a, a completely different environment. Um, yeah, so it was definitely more laid back. That was the thing I first noticed. Mm. Um, it's Perth's a great place to live. Um, it's The players are really close, really tight. It was a, it was a good environment to be involved in. Um, so the cricket, obviously, the, the whack is a lot different to the MCG, so that was good for, for a fast bowler. Mm. But, yeah, it, the culture was definitely um, – it was a lot more laid back been over there so it was good to it was definitely a good change okay so looking and I want to get into the art of swing bowling but looking back on your playing career across the two states but probably more Victoria how, how would you just describe it as I said before 281 first class wickets including a, a stint of county cricket but how would you describe your cricket career um in terms of like well just how you see yourself as a cricketer probably yeah, I think I was I was pretty hard working. I was a hard working cricketer. Um, I think at the time I got pretty much all I could out of it. Um, as I said, I did everything I could off the field, um, but I was I guess I knew my strengths, and I, I probably didn't try and go outside. I knew I was a swing bowler, so I'd try to make the most of the new ball. I knew I wasn't express pace. So I didn't try and do things that express um, quicks did. So. Um, yeah, I just, I guess, gave everything I had and just played within my limitations as a swing bowler. Do you, it not so much have regrets, but is there still that feeling of what if or have you got to the point in life where you, you're comfortable enough that what you did was still extremely successful as a first-class cricketer? Yeah, oh, it's, as I said, I don't really think too much about it. It's mm. I, When I left cricket, when I moved back to Melbourne from WA, I've had nothing really to do with cricket up until this year. Um, so I needed that time away from the game to, I guess, set myself up outside of cricket. So I guess it's for me now it's more about being happy with what I'm doing now rather than thinking too much about what I did mm-hmm. in the past because, as I said, there's things I wish I – not that I wish I had done because I did everything possible, but there's thing, opportunities I wish I had have had. Yes. So um, – and that's never going to change. It's just part of part of what my life was. Yeah, yeah, So. Yeah. Um, as much as I'm really happy with what I did, it would have been great to get a few more opportunities, I reckon. Yeah, especially after that story about uh, getting out of those Indians. That was uh, that's quite, <laughs> quite the spell of bowling. Um, I want to ask you about swing bowling. I've said this a few times in this chat because often we see around the country there's not too many um, bowlers that swing the ball uh, one way. You were able to swing the ball both ways. They still use a kookaburra four-piece ball in similar conditions to what it was like back 20-odd years ago. Where's the art of swing bowling gone, do you think? Uh, it's whether – there's still players around that can swing it, but whether they whether they pick them as much, that's part of it. Um, 
And I think with the shorter form, I wasn't a great short format game type of bowler either. So now that there's more emphasis on the short form, um, so I think bowlers are more accustomed to trying to bowl like that. Yep. So whether it's hit the wicket a bit more, whether it's change of pace, there's a scrambled seam, all these type of things that bowlers do now. Um, well, we never tried a scrambled seam. I wish I had it because on a flat wicket, it might have been able to yeah. get some more out of it than um, what I did. So I think it's maybe the, I guess, more short form cricket and the emphasis on that has probably taken it away from um, swing bowling. But you can still see even in a T20, when the ball's swinging around the first couple overs, how hard it is to play. Yeah. Um, I guess you only got four overs. You might only get one or two overs with the with the new ball. So the emphasis on that, I used to bowl, every time I bowl the nets, I'd get a new ball and I'd spend half my time with the new ball trying to swing it both ways. Whereas without knowing, I'd say now a lot of their time will be spent on variations, on the scrambled team, on these type of things, rather than the time spent to to do that. Yep. Um, and also we didn't have uh, bowling caps that you'd only got 36 balls to bowl. We'd bowl until we felt like we needed to get what, what we want out of it. So if I felt like I had to bowl 10 overs with a new ball, I could do it, um, whereas now there's obviously those limitations as well. Yeah. Do you look at that now and think with your background, professional background, and think how differently it could have been done in whether it be training, preparation, the way we see it now is not the way it was in cricket 20 years ago. Do you look back then and think, oh, I can't believe we used to do it the way we did it or was that way okay? I think um, it's okay if you're accustomed to it. I think if you got someone now into that, then I reckon they'd be too much. So mm. um, I think it all depends on it's a high training load's okay if you're accustomed to high training load. Mm. Whereas if you're, if you're not used to it, then you'll, you'll break down. So I think it... It's, I don't think we can just necessarily change um, or what we did was wrong or what happened now is um, wrong or right or whatever. It's just about how you, what you're used to and making sure that you can actually handle the load that you put under. Yeah. So I'd say it's more that. I don't think what we did was necessarily wrong. It was just, um, yeah, yeah it, it, we were resilient to what we needed to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the AFL environment, what's that like? You're at the Western Bulldogs. You've been there quite a long time. How long has it been now that you've been there? Yeah, so um, first year was there 2012. I was in the VFL there yep. for the first couple of years. And then 2015 moved in. So when Bevo started in 2015, that's when I moved into the into the AFL. So what's that? This is my 12th year at the club, but I think ninth in the AFL. Part of that was a, a premiership, mm. the breaking the drought. Um, working with some of the most amazing athletes at the Western Bulldogs. Um, Marcus Bondabelli is the one that comes to, to to meet your attention, but you've got the likes of Jack McRae, Bailey Smith in the midfield. What, what's it like in a different sport but training some of the most amazing athletes in, in the country? Yeah, it's. I guess I've been there since all those guys started. Yeah. So it's, it's not like I'm now going in there and got all these players that you don't know and you're, um, trying to build relationships with them. So I've known them since they were 18 when they first come to the club. So I've seen them develop. So um, you don't see me different to any like when you're here with the state team 20 years ago. You don't, it's, it's just, as I spoke about at the start, you just see them as a squad that you're working with. Yeah. So you don't necessarily attach that um, profile to, to mm -hmm. the players. They're, they're an amazing group in terms of um, how humble they are, how hard they work, all that type of stuff. So it makes it easier to, for anyone that's coming in to work with them, to relate with them. Do you still cycle? 
uh, occasionally to try and keep fit. That's about it. Yeah, because that that was. I mean, we talked before about footy or cricket. Mm. How how serious was cycling for you as a as a genuine career possibility? I'm not sure about a career. So when I finished retired from cricket when I was 30, I did competitive um, cycling then um, mm. over in Perth. Um, won a state championship over there um, when I was riding, and then um, had a few health issues with my heart. I was doing too much, so I had to <laughs> had to slow down. So that put an end to that after a couple of years. But yeah, so now I do some stuff with um, some Olympic track cycling, mm. um, which is good. So it takes my focus off footy when I needed, you know, when I needed another distraction. So yes, I'll do that with the Malaysian track cycling team. So yeah, that's good as well. What's your favourite sport? Is it still cricket? Because you said when you were growing mm. up it was cricket, when it could have been footy, you know, cycling, boxing. There's so many things we could talk to you about, about your love of all sports. But through your experiences of cricket and now footy, what's your favourite sport now? Because uh, I'm so involved in footy, I, I do love footy. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's a good – I always liked it, but I prefer cricket. But I guess as I spoke about, because I've been away from cricket for so long, it's – I still love cricket, um, but I'm, now that I'm back at Essendon this year, I've taken more of an interest as well. Um, but I, I think footy is probably the one that now I'd, I'd like to watch a bit more. Right, okay. Could you get back into cricket a bit more seriously, do you think, as a next step? Maybe. Almost like a, a sort of a finishing off that circle? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think so. It's. Um, I think being away, I'm much more rounded now than what I was when I got out of cricket. So mm. with the stuff I've done with footy, with the cycling, all that type of stuff, I think my knowledge is a bit broader now than what it was, um, you know, 10 or 11 years ago when I was still in cricket. So I think it'd be good to take that stuff back into cricket and um, see how it was, um, see how it would work. Yeah. I do love footy. And I love, I've got no um, issues with being in footy again for however long. But yeah, cricket's something that I've, it's always always a passion um so yeah who knows you may have already answered this question but who is the who is your favorite wicket of all your career if you look back is there one that stands out most satisfying or the best ball you bowl that you can still remember back to oh geez it's um and any wicket where you i guess for as a swing bowler when you work a batsman out and you've planned for it and that it come it comes on you know you get the batsman out the way you plan mm-hmm. any of those is a um, they're pretty satisfying. I spoke about getting Sachin out, but it was more once that was luck. But it was a, it wasn't a plan. It was just one of those ones that um, he nicks one and he gets caught. Whereas I guess the ones that you actually try and set someone up, they're they're the ones that are probably the most most satisfying. Best player you played with? That's oh, a it's a tough one. Tough one. Um, well, from Victoria as a as a batsman, I think Matty Elliott and Hodgie they're the two that are hard to mm-hmm. hard to go past. Um, over in WA, there's a few. Um, trying to think, um, playing with Damian Martin, Gilly, these guys over in um, WA, and then to playing with Warnies, you know, that's obviously next level. It's hard to <laughs> have a conversation the best ever if you've played with Warnie and you don't mention him. So, yeah, there's some of them. And the biggest influence on your first class cricket career. It was the one that left the biggest impression or the biggest. Biggest mark on yeah. maybe even your life as opposed to just your career career. Yeah, so Darren Berry early on. So um, he was my captain when I first first played here. So he was he was one that you know, you, inf- you, know, you get influenced when you first start playing. So mm-hmm. and I, you know, he was captain for the first couple of years I played here. So he was a he was a big one. He always supported me. Um, 
he always backed me. Sometimes when I didn't back myself, he he backed me more than me to, at times. So he was a he was a big one. All right, and the final question, which is it, it is an interesting question to ask, because I ask every person that comes in, what does Victorian cricket mean to you when you um, look back on your career now? Yeah, probably probably more now than what it, it did, I suppose, because as I said at the time, you're just in that squad and you don't, I guess, appreciate the part that you've played in terms of the whole the history of the, of the game. So. Um, yeah, at the time you just think you're playing with your mates, but then it's not until you um, look back on it now. It's been um, over 15 years since I played for Victoria and you start to see, um, I guess, where potentially where people might see you in the past and you say people are, you know, some of my teammates want to, want me to come in. So just like things like that, that appreciate, it makes you appreciate what you've been able to do but also appreciate Cricket Victoria and what they've, what they've helped um, me achieve in my life as well. Well, it's great to have a chat to you, as I said. Uh, so many of your teammates have said, you've got to get Matt Innes in, you've got to have a chat to him um, because we just loved, loved you as a teammate and that's that's the thing, it's a thread that's come through from everybody. So it's great for you to come in and share a little bit about your career and uh, and also what you're doing now and hopefully uh, one day we can see you back in cricket properly. I appreciate it. Matthew Innes uh, joining us on the Vic State Cricket Podcast. 81 first-class matches, 281 wickets and so close to playing for Australia. We'll catch you next time.